0: Get out! Fred, wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Get ready up! Get out! Get out! Fred, wake up! Wake up! Get ready up!
1: You're gonna hit the ground! It's all right, Fred. Go back to
0: sleep. Go back to sleep. back sleep. back to sleep, Fred.
1: Welcome to The Rear View. A chance to take a glance back into film history as we as filmmakers drive forward into the future of cinema and television. Each reel, I get to interview a filmmaker to discuss a film that influenced them or one they simply can't talk about enough, whether good or bad. If you're a loyal listener, I thank you for being one. And if this is your first look back with The Rear View, please subscribe, share, and rate this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow on Twitter at TRV Podcast and at Facebook.com slash The Rear View. My name is Matt Edwards, and in this reel, joining me is screenwriter E. Nicholas Mariani to discuss the film that may be the quintessential example of why this podcast is in existence. From 1946, The Best Years of Our Lives, directed by William Wyler, with a script by Robert E. Sherwood. Nick, welcome to The Rear View. Why don't you please offer up a brief synopsis of this excellent film?
0: Oh, thanks, Matt. What, a, what, a, what an awesome introduction. I'm thrilled. Um you know the, the the tagline for the movie, I think, if I remember it correctly, when it came out on the poster was three men try to regain what war's taken away. And it's it's literally that. It's it's very it's just a very simple, elegant story. Three servicemen meet uh at a at a military uh, airport right at the end of World War II. They're catching the same flight home because they're from the same uh, uh, city in America and in Ohio, Boone City, Ohio. And they kind of talk and, and get to know each other on the flight home and they bond. And what we, what we quickly realize is that they're each facing their own separate and unique challenges when it comes to reintegrating in a, back into civilian life. There's a, a young Navy sailor played by Harold Russell, which is one of the great not just one of the great non-professional performances in in movie history, but I think one of the great performances who's lost both of his hands and he's suffered a, a, a horrific and debilitating injury. And he's obviously nervous and anxious about how his family is going to react and specifically how his fiancé is going to react and receive him when he comes home. There's an uh, older infantryman uh, played by Frederick March who uh, is, is kind of more like the father figure. And uh, he's very nervous and anxious because he knows that his family has basically grown up without him the last three years. His his children, who were very young when he left, are now, uh, you know, basically, you know, his son is a young man, his daughter is a young woman, and, you know, he, he faces the challenge of needing to get to know his wife again, you know, after so much time has passed and what that's going to mean. And then there's a, a young bombardier played by Dana Andrews, one of the great underrated uh, leading men who... Is gonna come home to discover that his wife, who they were only married, I think, for twenty or thirty days when he shipped off, his wife has not exactly been faithful in his in his absence. And his his prospects and his dreams of landing a good job and you know, buying a home and and all of those things that kind of make up the American dream, that those are gonna be very, very difficult aspirations to to maintain in the post-war economy with so many. Uh, you know servicemen flooding the economy obviously and so you literally you get all this in the in the first you know 10 minutes or so as they have this nice plane ride home and they they share a taxi back to each of their uh homes and houses and they bid each other farewell and they wish wish each other good luck and they go on their merry ways and then over the course of the next couple hours they they just their lives continue to intersect in, in criss-cross and crisscross in very uh interesting ways that I think are, are by equal turns, uh, uh, surprising and heartbreaking. And ultimately I think very cathartic and, uh, triumphant. Very well put. I, I have to
1: say, and I mentioned to you this, this to you earlier, Uh, When I first sat down to watch it, I had not seen it. I'd heard great things about it, obviously, for a long time. It's one of those listings. Oh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. As with many older films, pre-1969, you know. (laughs) Uh, And when I saw The Running Time, I thought, oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) Well, don't tell anybody
0: because then they won't watch it. Right, right. right. But then I remember... It's a longer longer movie.
1: Yeah. But then I remember, you know, I I remember feeling the same way when I saw The Running Time for All About Eve, which Uh is a similar two-hour-plus film. Uh And I've seen that film many times over since and enjoy every minute of it. So I, I said, All right, I'm ready for this one. And I watched it and I, from within five minutes, within five minutes, I thought, oh, this is gonna be good because it was the patience that this film takes and allows to develop uh, for me was, I could tell I was, on, I was gonna be on a good journey. So with that said, for me at least, I thank you for picking this film because uh, this is exactly the film I wanna talk about. And I want to hear someone who's seen it more than once and who's used it in their craft, hopefully, probably, or uh, used as an inspiration. So what is it um, about this film that, you know, influences you as a screenwriter or or gives you
0: inspiration? Well, it's a, I mean, it's it's an A plus script. I mean, if I'm if I'm talking from just the point of view of of, uh, as a screenwriter, it's it's just it's just top tier work. Um, but if I'm completely honest, you know, the, the real reason I, I picked it was because of exactly what your reaction was. I mean, it's the movie that at the risk of sounding overly serious, I mean, throughout the years it is, it has given me the most joy of any other movie to recommend it to people because the reaction is always that it's always a movie that people have either not heard of or they've heard of it in passing. They know just a little bit about it. It's on the list. They've never gotten to it. And then they finally check it out and I get a phone call telling me that they're in tears and that they're, you you know, it's, 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 it's the most, I teared up throughout the film. It's the, it's, (laughs) this is the honest to God truth. It's the only movie that's ever made me cry, like full blown. It gets me every single time. Um, And honestly, you know, if Francis Ford Coppola had not made two little movies in the seventies called the Godfather part Mm. one and part two, this would probably get my vote for greatest movie of all time. I mean, it's certainly the movie that is, that had the. The most profound effect on me, just from an emotional standpoint, I mean, it just, it just, I had the, I had the good fortune of seeing it for the first time in New York at the Film Forum uh, with a packed audience. Oh wow, uh, which, which was just magical. And most of the people in the audience were older people who had probably seen it, you know, the first time mm-hmm. it came out. And there's something about seeing a movie like this uh, with a full capacity audience that specifically is is uh, that are members of the generation that's being depicted on screen. You almost it it gives you a little bit of an insight into how magical it must have been Mm -hmm. to have seen it when it first came out. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also I I think it's equally powerful to just see it at home And, and literally throughout the years. I mean, whenever people ask me, like, what are your favorite movies? It's always the list of usual suspects, right? It's it's everything from Godfather to. You know Lawrence of Arabia to Schindler's List to Braveheart to Twelve Angry Men and Rock. You know, blah blah. You know, just Mm -hmm. on and on. Most of these movies people have seen, even if they're not film buffs, or at the very least, they've heard of them and they're very familiar of. They're very familiar with the stories and and what they're about. When you say the best years of our lives, you know, they kind of cock their head and they look at you and they just kind of go like, what's that? Like, what's uh, I've never heard of that one before, which is both exciting to me and heartbreaking because it's like I, I desperately wish it was just a little bit. Uh, I, I wish it was. I, I wouldn't say it's been a forgotten film. I mean, it won the Oscar. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's it's the not thing. Like it's but
1: it, exactly
0: most people who are not either in the industry or film historians, or you know, bona fide film buffs, and I'm doing air quotes right now. I know <laughs> I know the people at home can't see me, but you know, uh, my experience has always been most people I talk to have 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 never heard of the movie, and they have no idea what's waiting for them when they see it, and it just completely you know blows them away. Mm-hmm. Which is which? I mean, there's there's real joy in sharing something with people that mean something to you that you know is going to mean something to them, and that's always been the experience with this movie. I think it's a you know a very very special one in that regard.
1: Yeah, and uh, I I think particularly at this point in in our lifetime right now, there's a certain relevancy that this film has. I I, right. I found myself being more connected with these people coming home from war and hearing stories and knowing stories of of people that. You know, either through that I know directly, or just through stories of, of people that I know indirectly. Uh, ha, you know, going through these t- types of of experiences of re um, connecting with civil civilian life and mm-hmm. trying to to get back into it. Um, and so I think I, I I think there's a like there's a and, and it was a huge hit at the time. I mean, it, it I think at the time it it broke some some records that hadn't it's, been seen since Gone with the Wind.
0: It's still to this day, if you count. Box office in terms of number of tickets sold, mm-hmm. not inflationary that stuff, just in terms of just sheer number of people who saw the movie, yeah. sheer number of tickets sold. I think it's still like number four and number five. Oh well,
1: and that and that, and that doesn't surprise me at all because, it, it, not that that American Sniper is anyway like this film, mm-hmm. but it's a it's that similar like American Sniper hit at the right time. Sure. And and uh, and it's about a story about a guy coming back. It's just one guy, but he's mm-hmm. coming back and he's trying to reconnect with civilian life. And and it did phenomenal numbers mm-hmm. because of that sort of sentiment and the time we are in our lives. So anyway, I think based on that, like it's it's not surprising to have those types of emotions connect with that people of those of those generations where they would be sitting with some, you know, a 20 year old is something at the time, probably who. Saw right. this film in the theater at the time. Yeah,
0: I was I was I was in college. I was twenty or twenty one. Yeah, and it just killed me. You know, I, I read. You know, Roger Ebert. Wrote I, I'm
1: a, sorry. Had you been writing? Had you been? Are you studying screenwriting at this time? Yeah, I was in film school.
0: Okay. I was at NYU, and one of the great one of the great things that I discovered early on in film school is that there was this magical place called the Film Forum down in the the West Village that would show movies like this, and that, you know, by and large, they'd actually you know attract a big crowd. I mean, to see to see movies like this with an audience, you can't you just can't put a a value on it but um you know going back to what you said about you know having the you know that the movie still resonates on on such a deep level you know um uh, roger ebert wrote a, a great essay on the movie uh, a number of years ago and he said you know uh, unfortunately i think his line was he said i'm paraphrasing but he said mm-hmm. as long as there are wars the best years of our lives will be timeless and it's i mean that's unfortunate that's that's, yep. that's sadly the case but um it's such a you know it I think part of the par- part of white age is so well is, you know, it, it uh, from a political standpoint, it's it's incredibly thoughtful and nuanced. You know, Robert going if, you know, going back to the screenwriter for for a second, I mean, Robert Sherwood is a very interesting his history is, um, you know, he was a, 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 a very staunch pacifist during World War One. And then, you know, World War Two comes along and he kind of changes his views on war a little bit, you know, due to the necessity of that one. And I, I you know, I think his kind of evolving politics or they make sense when you watch the movie because it's very much rooted in just the complexity of the 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 humanistic e- experience of these characters and the, and just the the cost there's in mm-hmm. terms of um what it does to to families and people's lives who have who have had to go through that even the people who are fortunate enough to survive and come back at least you know physically you know unscathed um he was he was uh He was a he was a giant in the in the screenwriting and and playwriting world, both literally and figuratively. He was six foot eight. Oh, wow. Which I think has to be some kind of a most writers are not that are (laughs) are much more diminutive. Um, I'm six one and I often feel like a giant as a a writer. But um, he won four Pulitzers and uh, an Academy Award for this for Mm -hmm. this movie. And he was a speechwriter for Franklin Roosevelt. He, he um, I think, is credited with uh, coming up with the phrase arsenal of democracy, which, mm. you know, was used throughout World War II. So there's a very long and distinguished career that I, you know, that I, that I envy to an extraordinary degree. And this, you know, this, this piece of writing, I think, is, is the crown jewel in all of his uh, mm-hmm. in, in his entire resume. And then, the, you know, the thing that, the thing that I think as a writer that you just kind of you fantasize about and you hope for it is that you, you write something that is, you know, that is meaningful and special and is the, that is substantive. And then you get this just everybody who comes on to to make it just elevates it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't imagine what he like, you know, William Wyler, who in my mind is the greatest director in the history of Hollywood. You know, the guy who directed Ben-Hur is going to do the movie. Uh, You know, you got the cinematographer from Citizen Kane, Mm -hmm. you know, shooting the thing with his incredible deep focus photography. You've got like the greatest cast ever between Myrna Loy and Frederick March and Dana Andrews and Harold Russell. And, you know, the score, the music just Mm -hmm. makes the hair on your arm stand up. I mean, it's a movie that I just think, you know, just, you know, beyond the fact that the story is so incredible, you know, you can go down the check boxes of, of craftsmanship of filmmaking and it's all just, you know, top tier work by various people, you know?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I I, I I wanna get into how how seamless the the interactions between these three characters who who don't know each other from Adam when they first when we first when the audience first sees them, I don't I, I don't even know going into it, I don't even know who who, who these who who I'm going to be watching you know who, who's mm-hmm. who's our lead who's our protagonist who's who's the story
0: centered around and at first you know it's is, very is, unusual for 1946 absolute, absolutely you know, I mean it, there's so many things about the movie that are groundbreaking ba- in just quietly subtle ways and that being one of them there's no protagonist it's, yeah, like, that it's op- like that opening scene in the in the it's traffic trying to get it's yeah I mean, it's, it's three different storylines yeah there's no protagonist um it's it's, uh, you know, everybody always credits, rightfully so, I'm not going to dispute this, but, you know, Elia Kazan always gets a, 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 a lion's share of the credit for kind of ushering in naturalism, right, with like mm-hmm. on the waterfront and stuff. But, you know, six years before, in the best years of our lives, William Wyler is, is kind of taking a, a pseudo-documentary approach. Oh, yeah. He's casting non-professional actors, real combat veterans. He's, he's instructing his set designers to build sets to scale rather than larger, you know, what usually in, in Hollywood filmmaking at that time and still today, you know, sets were built to accommodate large camera movements. Mm-hmm. He, he had sets, but he, uh, he had a house built, you know, to be the size of a real house. He had the actors buy their own wardrobe, you know, they right. just kind of walk around in whatever they thought their characters would be wearing. Um, I mean, it's, it's just extraordinary. And, and, and the other thing that always blows my mind is, it's made it's released less than a year after the war ends. Right. It's released it's that quick. I mean, it World yeah. War Two is barely over for a year and this movie comes out. And it is, in my mind, the the defining war movie, you know, dealing with, you know, the the challenges the veterans face mm-hmm. when they come back, you know, from war that's ever been made. And the mm-hmm. fact that they got it made in that time frame is has always been mind-blowing to me.
1: And it's extraordinary because for for all the great films about particular battles or particular moments in the war or whether good or you know whether uh, uh, they're heroic or devastating that war brings and all the terrific war pictures that that are so great from, from that era what what really matters is 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 the 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 citizen who joined, who went and fought and came back. I mean that's what we ha- that's that's the heart to 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 I mean that that's why that's why American Sniper was so successful in my opinion I think mm-hmm. is is because we, we we watch this man it's the same thing with these characters it's it's I, I mean I'm, I I can't tell you the moment and it's right in the beginning when they first drop off Harold um Russell uh Harold Russell mm-hmm. and his little sister comes running out right which by, I, which by the way how I'm, many YouTube videos do we see where the where the guy comes home and his daughter or, or whoever right. runs up you just start bawling at that and I mean, by the, way, the,
0: the I, I believe I I could be mistaken about this but I believe that because there's that it's the famous shot of going through the swinging door I mean the framing is so similar to what Steven Spielberg did in uh, Saving Private Ryan when the mom receives word that her that her three uh, boys have, have been killed in combat. You know, I have to. And I know I've read in interviews that it's that it's a, a, fa- a favorite film of his. I'm I'm sure it had mm-hmm. some inspiration on him in some small way. Tom Hanks has talked at length about, you know, how it's one of his favorite movies and probably his favorite war movie. Um, there's so many. Uh, yeah, there's just so many incredible, you know, defining moments Um the performances are just unreal. I mean, mm-hmm. that was one thing that I think William Wyler was one of the one of the arguments that I think you can make if you're arguing that he's, you know, at the top of the list in, in all those guys. I mean, I think he he uh, I, I can't remember the exact number, but more actors nominated for Academy Awards in his movie than any other director in the mm-hmm. history. It might he might also hold the record for wins uh, in terms of directing actors to you know oh, Oscar winning performances. Right. You know, he himself has 3. My one of my favorite sorry, I know I'm bouncing around a little bit in topics, but my one of my favorite pieces of trivia about this movie is that Harold Russell, you know, he was nominated for best supporting actor, you know. Right. And, and, and he and is, he
1: wasn't an actor to just to reiterate. No, and Harold he, yeah, Harold Russell, he,
0: he's a real combat veteran. He lost both of his hands right. in World War II. There's an ex- just a staggering scene in the movie where he has to, you know, take his harness off and reveal that he's actually a double amputee to his fiance. I mean, it's just, it's just gut wrenching. And he was nominated for best supporting actor, but his odds of winning were, it was a long shot. Sure. Nobody thought he was going to win. So they gave him a special Oscar earlier in the ceremony for a a distinguished achievement and bringing hope to veterans and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then it came time to announce the winner for best supporting actor and he won. So to this day, he's the only actor to have ever won two Academy Awards in the same ceremony yeah. for the same performance in the same movie. That's, that's outstanding. That's great. And it's I think it's his only movie. He was in a couple of he was in a couple of other movies like towards the end of his life, mm. just in like small little cameo roles. Mm-hmm but you know like if you pull up his resume it's the best years of our lives yeah. and then he went back to he went back to real life and i right. it's a it's a performance that's worthy of daniel day-lewis it's, oh, it's just fantastic
1: yeah it's fantastic he 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 is a, one of the most sympathetic and and heartwarming characters to watch and to and to root for i mean i can't tell you i can't tell you how much i was rooting for him towards the end of his his particular story and and you know usually on this on this podcast i want to say you know there's no spoilers there's no like we just talk about this film we don't you know I don't want to yeah but but i I can't I, I feel like I can't rob anybody right <laughs> of the ending of his story because it was so right. impactful for right. me Um, but I will say that when um Peggy uh no no um, Wilma Wilma when she jumps up to help oh.
0: No, that's the scene. That's the scene I, that when I saw it the first time... I, I was praising. <laughs> I, it wasn't mis- I wasn't that there was something in my eye or that I, my eyes were watery. Mm-hmm. I had tears going down. My- it's the only time that that's happened to me in a movie. I mean, I've, I've gotten emotional in movies before and I've gotten misty-eyed, but The Best Years of Our Lives is the only one that has brought me to tears, and it's that scene. Mm-hmm. And by the way, William Wyler, I think, sets that scene up beautifully. I won't spoil it, but earlier in the movie... There's another scene yes, and I, where, he, did you notice? And yes. He'd take his dad. I thought it was into, a censorship issue. Correct. And <laughs> when I first saw it, I thought, oh, he's not a real amputee. They're not showing sure, sure. They're not showing him below the shoulders because he's really got arms. Right. And then the payoff then at the end yeah, was brilliant. is amazing. Yeah. Um, And the other thing, you know, it's the thing that I think is so, I mean, there, you know, I, I could talk for six hours about all the things that I love about this movie, but It's so, it finds a way to make just ordinary real life um, challenges feel like the biggest thing in the world. Nothing catastrophic happens in this movie. You know, spoiler alert, like nobody dies in a car accident, (laughs) you know, nobody, nothing blows up, nobody dies. You know, it is simple everyday uh, challenges that Mm -hmm. these characters face and they are, Heartbreaking, And they feel like the biggest thing in the world because you you care deeply about, you know, each of these people and what they what their hopes are and what their dreams are and what they're trying to, you know, what they're trying to get through.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, we have we have to get to a little bit into the uh, minutia of 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 writing. Uh, OK, just if, if you can. Sure. Uh, <laughs> when cause what struck me about this and I, I'll just jump to this one is I mentioned it earlier is the patient that this film takes and allowing the story to unfold gradually. Right. And, and like you just mentioned, there's no, there, we're not, we're not headed towards, um, the solving of a murder or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're simply just watching these, these people. Um, I, I keep using the word reconnect, but it's, it's, uh, get back into civilian life, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen
0: anymore. I know. Tell <laughs> Generally you. speaking, I know much <laughs> to film. my much to my frustration. Yeah. You know? So
1: so in your meandering through through your career now and and through you know turning in scripts uh, you know to your to to studios or to agents or, or things like that, I, I have to believe that you're you're somebody who who wants. To, to do, to achieve something on a level of best years of our yeah, lives desperately. Uh, yeah. And, uh, so what's the feedback that you get when, <laughs> when you the, try and do that?
0: It's well, I haven't tried to turn in a three hour, <laughs> a three hour drama, a three hour character drama about, uh, vets returning from home. But no, listen, it's hard. It's getting, you know, it's getting harder and harder and harder to just tell simple, straightforward human interest stories. Um, and it's, you know, the, the note that, uh, and it's not just with me, it's with a lot of my friends who are, you know, in the business and trying to write, you know, anything other than, you know, Transformers 12, uh, is, you know, get to the action faster, get to this faster, you know, can the gun be going off by page five, you know, and it's, it's hard because, you know, I grew up not just watching, you know, best years of life, but even take something like, uh, uh Braveheart, right. Which is a, a you know, big, giant, uh, thrilling, Mm-hmm. action adventure film I mean that that movie opens with a 45-minute love story you know and that I don't know that you'd be able to get away with that today I mean it's mm-hmm. and it's hard because that's what makes that movie you know that's what makes that movie a classic you know without without uh, without the gut-wrenching death mm-hmm. that occurs on minute 45 of Braveheart that movie is pointless you know and if you just opened up with him uh, charging up the hill towards the sea it's like who gives a you know who cares um. So it's hard. It's frustrating. I mean, I keep hoping that, uh, I keep hoping that, you know, we'll reach a point of critical mass and these things will, you know, kind of turn around and reveal themselves to be a little bit cyclical. I mean, you know, the one thing that's a little bit encouraging is, you know, television and and kind of the renaissance that's going on there. But if you're a guy like me who grew up loving movies, you don't want movies to just surrender to, you know, just nothing but big giant, uh, franchises and and you know the other thing that I would say is that you know I have no problem with those big giant franchises existing I think it's great like mm-hmm. if you want to go see Transformers 5 I think that's awesome like I, I you know my this the little bit of a soapbox that I just get on is I feel like people in Hollywood are smart enough that we should be able to walk and chew gum at the same time and there should be enough room in the sandbox for the Transformers and the Harry Potters and the twilights and the whatever the 50 shades of grays and all these big giant movies and then you know I, I just don't think that there's any reason why those why those good substantive character-driven movies that we were really really liking and that were really really successful all the way up through the late 90s and even you know some some rare examples today mm-hmm. uh should have to go away because there is an audience for them you know there is absolutely an audience out there there, there are all kinds of people who want to go see You know those kinds of movies.
1: Absolutely, and I I would think even as proof that you're saying you were sitting in a in a packed theater when you first saw this film, uh, even if it's
0: sure or even you know I I was in a pack the last time I tell you what the last time I was in a packed theater wasn't uh, the last time I was in a packed theater was was watching The Imitation Game, mm -hmm. and I watched that movie in Salt Lake City, Utah, with my parents sitting next to me, and it was a sold out show, and it had thunderous applause at the end. So I mean, you know is that movie ever going to do transformers business? No, but you don't have to make it for transformers budget either. You know, it's, it, I, it, we should be able to, we should be able to push movies like this through the pipeline. Right. A little bit easier than, than we currently are. That would be my, you know,
1: yeah, there really is opinion. no need, no need to make a hundred million dollar drama. No, uh, <laughs> that doesn't have any explosions right. or that. That's anything like best right. years of our lives. Right. Uh, great. Okay. Um, so The other the other thing that struck me about this film, and maybe this is more of a, a comment on society, is the the people in the film, down to the bartender or Butch, is is it? Yeah, but, you know, down to all these people. That, by the way, isn't he great? Oh, he's fantastic. A real? Right? I think
0: he's a real life. I forget his name now, but he's a real musician. And by um, uh, a great thing is you know the song that Frederick March asks him to play. Oh, to that dance he, that he his wife. Dan- that his wife danced to. Mm-hmm is a song that the real guy actually wrote.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, but what struck me about all these all these people, the people that are in the film is everybody's so nice. Mm-hmm. Everybody's nice. Right. And and there are places that I go to, um, you know, I live in Los Angeles. I'm from Los Angeles, and there are places where I try when I travel, Like everybody's so nice here, you know, (laughs) and I've been to New York and not everybody's really nice there. Right. And I've I've been to Salt Lake City. There are a lot of nice people there. I've been to Portland. I'm from Salt
0: Lake City for those people who are confused by the reference.
1: And you're very nice. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, so, so, but, but what I, what struck me is sometimes you think, okay, that's just what's on film. Is that what really people were like back then? Were they just nice? Because they really are nice. The women in this film are extraordinarily independent, extraordinarily strong. Yeah. They are fantastic people. They uh-huh. are fantastic people. And it's not a it's not a. Um, and
0: they're well fleshed out three dimensional characters. I mean, 100 percent. I mean, that's another thing that, uh, you know, that I think is so extraordinary about, you know, this movie. I think a lot of people have a, an idea in their head that before, you know, Two thousand, you know, women in movies were often relegated to just very, you know, simple to, tut- and they often were, I mean, don't, sure. don't get me, don't sure. get me wrong. But when you see movies like this and, and most of the movies on William Wyler's resume, I mean, the women are just extraordinary and how they got away with some of the stuff. I really don't know. I mean, there's a moment in the best years of our lives where a 19 year old girl comes home and announces to her parents that she is in love with a married man and plans to break up his marriage Ugh. and it is and it's an applause line it is I have seen I did I it, did it. I applauded it's a complete, by myself it is a total applause line I have seen it three times in a movie theater the audience roars the only other line that I've ever heard gotten a, that has gotten a bigger applause than that is, is when uh, uh, Norma Desmond uh, says that she is big and it's the pictures that got small it's the only one that I've ever heard that's topped it and this is 1946. We're mm-hmm. in the we're in the height of the Hays Code. Like I don't, I don't know how they got away with that, but it's extraordinary. Um, uh, what was the other quick example? Oh, the you know the the climactic moment that we're kind of dancing around with Harold mm-hmm. Russell and Kathy O'Donnell. He looks at her. You know, it's it's 2 a.m. She's coming to the house. She's found him in the kitchen. It's a moment where they're you know she's going to just confront him with everything, and he's going to come right at back at her, and he looks at her and says. You know, we've known each other our whole lives. I'm gonna go up to my bedroom. I want you to come with me. It's this ominous <laughs> thing. And this is 1946. Like guys right. don't say to girls in movies, "Come up to my bedroom with me at two in the morning." No. You know, I mean, it's it's but a they very, do
1: say it in real life. You know what I mean? Like it feels, in that moment,
0: it felt natural. It feels very, very. The movie feels very modern. Mm-hmm. In a in a lot of in a lot of really interesting. I mean, it, I just think it is. It, it was made 70 years ago. Uh, it's ex- and, I can't believe that it has aged. I think just. I, I only hope that some of the stuff that we're pumping out can hold up for seventy years. Right. You know, but I completely got off track with your question. Which your question was: Do you think that? Do you think that? I think if I heard it right, that we're that we're looking at people through rose-colored glasses, or do you think the the previous right. generation? I don't know. You know, that's a that's a question I've asked myself a lot. You know, because it's like you you. I think in some ways, yes, the culture was a lot more. Refined and less coarse than currently, but at the same time, it's like they had segregation back then. I mean, it was, you know right, what I mean? Like right. it's in so many ways, it was such a, it was a, it was a, it was a, a less just world than we have today. You know, so I don't know. It's um, I go back and forth on it. Yeah, but it is one of those movies where you just kind of feel like you wish you could, you know, like Pleasantville, like go into the world, right, and just kind of hang out there for <laughs> a little bit. Right? It's like it's like yeah. a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movie where it's <laughs> like I just wish I could go hang out in that. I wish that world existed, and yeah. I wish I could go see it. You know? Yeah, because a lot of the films, you know, a lot of the uh,
1: and and not the big blockbuster action films and stuff, but a lot of the films today that reflect the world that we live in now. And, and I'm thinking specifically of Boyhood. I was depressed. I thought, right. Oh my God, right? Is this this is this is who we are? Like right. this is. And that's a three-hour film or close to it, right? And it's just a it's just a and series as, of, of not life. As, not
0: as lean. <laughs> not the best as, years of our lives. Yeah, well, exactly correct. The, I mean, I think you'd have to admit the best years of our lives. It's two hours and fifty minutes long. Uh, would uh, you cut anything? No, I would not cut a single frame. Not a Not a moment, right? I, and I, I don't think I was enjoying f- it. I'm going.
1: I don't even want to see how much time is left because I just want it to keep going. And, yeah. it, and it and when it and when it ends,
0: it's natural. And yeah, and it ends. Yeah, and I won't I won't spoil the ending, but I did here here's the other thing that I always say. I feel like very few movies are successfully able to put their audience through the ringer, you know, in terms of just like breaking their hearts and being hard, and then kind of arrive naturally at a happy ending mm-hmm. that feels earned. I always felt like the best years of our lives earned its happy ending Every in, a, in a way that's yeah. like it's just really profound. Um and the other, you know, yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I I hear you. I, I I'm just
1: I'm super jazzed. I'm super pumped that I saw this movie. I mean, it, it instantly, uh, Nick. It went. It's it's in my top ten. I mean, is it's it? it's instantly there. I mean, I, I, see, I, and I love this. This to me is
0: one of the. This to me it, is why it's why I got into this. I mean, yeah, it's it's there's nothing. I can see it. The best thing, and it's not just movies. It's any kind of storytelling, right? Oh my God, you got to see this. Mm-hmm. You got to read this. Mm-hmm. You got to listen to this piece of music. You got this is mate like that ability to. There's real joy in sharing something that means something to you with someone and then having it mean something to them too. It's it's uh, so I am I'm, I'm beyond thrilled that uh that you liked it. I'm not surprised though because it's it's <laughs> it's a reaction that I've yeah, gotten consistently get. through the through the through the ages. Well, I
1: certainly hope that those who who listen to this and decide to take the plunge and watch this will contact us and and thank Nick go go on Twitter, on Facebook and thank and thank Mr. Mariani here for for recommending this film.
0: And if you, it's, and it's true, and if you liked it, you should do yourselves a favor and try to watch every William Wyler movie in chronological order because yeah, it's really, it. it's really fun to watch him evolve mm. from little, you know, early movies with Humphrey Bogart before he was a big star to 1959 where he is directing Ben Hur and The Big Country in the same year. Incredible. Which I mean to me, that's like you know Spielberg doing Schindler's List in Jurassic Park in the same year, and it's just which, you like, did. I, which you did, which he did, yeah. Which is, I just I don't even comprehend how that's possible, yeah. You know? But it's um, understood. It's quite a thrill, yeah. Okay,
1: well, is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon with this film? Uh, you know, whether it's geared to towards screenwriters or just audiences in general, that we didn't. Uh, Cover. I
0: don't know about screenwriters, you know, the, the one thing that I, I think I was maybe kind of hoping to mention is, is the subtlety that is employed visually. I mean, there's subtlety in the writing, which, you know, I could talk about at length. But one of the things I really love about how William Wyler directed the movie was the subtlety that he used and, and, and kind of employed, you know, the camera to, to tell the story. I mean, specifically, the, one of the things that he does that's, I think, so interesting Is he'll oftentimes, you know, and this is also, I think, a credit to Greg Toland, who did a lot of this type of stuff in Citizen Kane when he did the cinematography for that movie is to employ a a big, deep focus wide shot and then to compose it so that the most important thing is actually the thing that's happening way in the distance. Right. And he does this specifically. Multiple times in the movie, right? The 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 two instances where it's really noticeable is when Dana Andrews has to make that horrible phone call. You know, after oh. after oh, I wanted I had
1: that after, after, down. I wanted to talk about after, that scene. Yeah,
0: after Frederick March confronts him about what's going on between him and his daughter, and Dana Andrews very selflessly says, "I'm going I'll cut it off to spare her," and he go he goes to the opposite end of the bar to make a phone call. And we stay with Frederick March and Harold Russell as Harold Russell shows off that he can play the piano with his hooks. And the whole time we're just staring at Dana Andrews all the way down, and mm-hmm. it's that's all we can keep our eye. And the and the, the shot is composed in such a way that you don't take your eyes off what is happening. Just you know, it's just filling up like a tenth mm-hmm. of the frame. And then the and I won't spoil it, but then the the penultimate shot of the movie is the exact same thing. And in a lot of ways, it's a reverse. And mm-hmm. it's it's the big payoff where you've got a wedding, and the whole shot is composed around the bride and groom but that's not the important thing. Mm -hmm. The important thing is what's happening clear across and you know, we'll, I'll just leave it at that.
1: Yeah, that's great. Excellent. All right. Uh, let's get to this. You've promised something special for this answer here for this question. Uh, How could I have done that? I'm just hearing it for the first time. Uh, what that's are you talking cr- about. Oh, you're right. Okay. You don't. Well, you don't alert
0: this. your. You don't alert your guests beforehand about what the questions are going to be. Come on.
1: <laughs> well, if our civilization ended today by some random act of God, and extraterrestrials discovered our remains a thousand years from now, what's
0: the one film or television series you want them to find? The best years of our lives. <laughs> And here's my here's my proposal for you. I think that I think that you should ask a follow up question to any guest who sits in this chair and does not name the movie or the TV show that they just spent the last half an hour talking about and just say why. Right. I would pick the best years of our lives. Um, it doesn't encompass all of humanity, obviously, but I think it does a, a pretty good job of just showing uh everyday life and and humans at their finest and it it showed how uh you know people struggle and they fall down and they do the best they can and that life is very hard and very difficult at times but it's ultimately great and it's beautiful and in a lot of ways it's beautiful specifically because it's hard and difficult mm-hmm. and i think that uh i don't know if i, I if the human race is going to have anything positive to leave behind as a legacy to whoever stumbles upon our uh, our remains, I would I would hope that would be it.
1: I'll take that answer. Oh, good. I will
0: take it. Good. I will take it. Uh,
1: thanks, Nick, for coming in today. Thanks for having me. And if you guys out there enjoyed this podcast, please give the show a rating on iTunes. Those five stars really do help the show. I don't want to sound like I'm begging. I'm just asking politely. It also entices more great guests like Nick to come here on the show. So please subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can uh, connect with us at facebook.com slash The Rear View and on Twitter at TRV Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Edwards. And if you're driving forward on your film, always be sure to check The Rear View. Kiss me once, then kiss me twice,
0: then kiss me once again. I haven't felt like this, my dear, since can't remember when, it's been a long, long time, you'll never know. This move once again, it's been a long time